dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. If anyone were to survey the general American public, two things would stand out. First, we'd all be convinced that things need to be done. Actions need to take place. Decisions need to be enacted. And secondly, most of us would agree that it's really hard to do what we know we need to do. Even if we know what needs to be done, it can be a very difficult task to start what we know we need to do. It was no different for St. Paul, yet he gives us the secret of allowing Christ to help us start doing what we know needs to be done. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our little class here we're doing on St. Paul. And if you don't remember where we're situated here, we're, we're actually walking through the one-inch gap. That's something I like to call it. That stands at in every single human activity, whether big or small, and decides whether or not you do what you know you need to do to make the impact in the world that you want to make. There's this gap that we just have to cross. It, it, it's, the, it's like between the inside of us and the planning that, we take, that takes place inside of us, right? And, and knowing what we have to do and thinking things through and making a plan and then actually doing it. And it's a terrifying place for a lot of people because they, they realize that once you start to do things and pass from the inside to the outside, well, then failure is actually an option, right? Failure can take place. Judgment can take place. Financial consequences can happen. I mean, it's one thing to sit there and say, honey, I know we want to move and change, you know, neighborhoods and go to a different house. And another thing to actually do it. Right. Or it's another. Th it's one thing to say, I know that I need to say something to my friend about how they're behaving, and another thing to actually do it. Right. And there, in the phases of a leader, the the first phase is knowing what you want to do. The second phase is knowing how you're going to do it. But then this third phase, ah, it's really a doozy. It means actually saddling up and doing it. And it's a phase that will determine, of course, whether or not not only an action is done, but the impact that we need to give to the world is actually rendered. I'm thinking of all my experience as a priest, the number of times that wives have come to me complaining um, that their husbands just don't get things done. <laughs> it's a it's kind of a universal complaint. Of course, sometimes it goes the other way too. And you've got husbands that complain in, in the same way. But most of the time, I hear from wives that, listen, my, my husband just sits on the couch. My husband just comes home and he sits there and he watches TV and he's does, he, does, he does nothing, right? And, and what do you do in that scenario? And of course, I'll turn to her and I'll say, well, how, can, I, can I talk to him? Can you get, get, him, get him to talk to me? And then she'll you know, say, well, no, she, he won't come to see you because that's something else that he has to get done. And so you're kind of in the catch-22, right? And if it's not the husband, it's definitely the teenager. 
You know, I mean, how many times do you got to tell your teenager, pick up the room, you know? And then it's like they live in this perpetual cycle of things that are not yet done, not yet finished. And it can drive a leader crazy. Because, man, if, if you're leading, like, you know, anyway, of course, like, I'm talking in your business, I'm talking about in your home life, I'm talking, but anywhere where you're making impact in the world, you know that impact comes from action. Impact doesn't come from nice thinking. Impact, in, impact comes from real sacrifice. So if you're not really doing it, it really isn't getting done. And if you need to make an impact in the world, then you need to make it. You know, you need to do it. You, you can't just sit by and, and wish that it was done. And here, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of something in our Catholic faith that's very, you know, special to us all. And that's the life of our contemplative sisters and contemplative monks in the world. These are people that you say, oh my goodness, this must be the life. They live in, in, in a regular rhythm of prayer. They live in silence. They live many times in solitude. Oftentimes they live in rural settings or beautiful natural settings. And, and, and you're tempted to think to yourself, oh man, these, these people don't do anything. What impact could they possibly make on the world? If you remember that movie Sister Act, right, with Whoopi Goldberg, she's in there, you know, and the whole point of the movie is she gets these sisters to stop just praying, just praying, quote unquote, and to move into action, you know, helping all kinds of people. And a lot of us are tempted to think that precisely because, well, we realize the, the importance of activity. But action is not the same thing as activity. This is, it's not equal. equal. And the action of the soul towards God is actually the most beneficial kind of action. And contemplative people who might on the outside appear to be making very little social impact, on the contrary, oftentimes make more of an impact than anyone else. If you look at the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, for example, he spent 30 years in quiet submission to Mary and Joseph and only three years preaching, teaching, and doing miracles. Only one-tenth of his life was spent in, quote-unquote, the active life. And, and, and nine-tenths of his life were spent in submission of the family, into the family. So that, that's absolutely astounding because you're like, what's the value of that? Even in his active life, look at the number of times where he goes in silence and spends the night praying. Or the times where the crowds are looking for him and he literally runs away from them. Not runs to them, but runs away from them. Sometimes running away into prayer. And he's showing us hereby an example for us to remember. And that's that when I'm talking here about action and the need for action, I'm not talking about throwing ourselves willy-nilly into activity, but rather an action that it comes from the soul, from deep within us, deep within our ponderings, deep within our identity, and makes what is truly important and truly spiritual known in the world. And here, be contemplative monasteries, this is what they do all day, which means the most important leaders in our world might actually be behind cloister walls. So, I mean, I don't want to belabor the point here, but I want to make it so that we, we, we understand what I'm talking about, right? You have to act to make an impact. Well, if that's true, then the quality of the action will, to a great degree, determine the quality of the impact. 
it's not just about throwing ourselves, other, in other words, into an endless to-do list. No, it's about being smart about what we do and then actually putting it into action. And this is something I see St. Paul really typifying for us in a beautiful way. He crosses that one-inch gap, and he crosses it again and again in his life. And by crossing it, well, things get done. But not only does he cross it again and again, but he crosses it intensely. He crosses it with a quality of soul where his actions flow from who he is, right? When you know who you are and you're rooted solidly in your identity, well, then your desires, what you're going to do, in other words, well, they flow from a place well, that is in touch with God and that really is, is aligned with your deep mission in life. And this is just really important because when you're in touch with who you are, you also will align your actions towards the deepest impact possible, right? And what does that mean? That means that your engagement as a person is going to be the deepest. This is called alignment. The alignment between your personal values and your external output of your action. And the greater that alignment is, the higher degree that alignment is, the deeper the impact that your actions make and the more satisfying that your actions become. And I think when you look at the life of St. Paul, you can't, you can't but marvel at how on the one hand, it seemed like he was always doing what he wanted to do and what he wanted to do always seemed to be what he wanted to get done. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. And that leads to happiness, a deep personal satisfaction that a lot of us are missing. You know, you go through the workforce today and, and you ask yourself, are you happier this year than you were last year at doing what you're doing? Well, I mean, people who are correctly aligned will say, yes, I don't even need a paycheck. You know, I mean, I have to get one. But then again, like I would do this as a volunteer. And that, that would be an amazing life. Wouldn't that be amazing? It'd be amazing. It'd be amazing to, be, to say, I'm so happy doing what I'm doing that I could just do this all day long. Right? And how do I get there? that alignment that I want to look at in the life of Paul because I think it can help all of us. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. Without a doubt, St. Paul is a doer. If you look at his life just from, you know, just by the numbers, so to speak, it's really astounding. Let me just read you a few of the numbers, right? He spent 40 years of his life approximately, right, and as a Christian. And during that time, he walked over 10,000 miles by foot. 10,000 miles. So that's the equivalent of going from New York to L.A. four times, okay? <laughs> he wrote 14 of the books of the Bible— he visited at least 30 cities, right? By visiting, meaning living in. So he moved to and lived in 30 cities. He, he founded anywhere between 14 and 20 churches. And he went through all kinds of terrible experiences. I mean, he, he was the object of riots. He was whipped. He was caned. He was put in prison. He was abandoned. He had to travel by himself over all kinds of, of terrible terrain. I mean, St. Paul's life, is, it really is an epic tale of a human being who is in action, who is moving forward because of the great love that he had in his heart for Christ. Right? So in all these things, 
there's a common point, and we call this point of philosophy imperium. I-M-P-E-R-I-U-M. It's a phase of a human action, and it's in every action that we do conscientiously. Everything that you choose to do, you have to have this ability, and it's an ability of the, of the intellect to tell the will, do this, to pass into action. Because if, if we don't have this, what you'll have is a dreamer, someone who's always thinking about what should be done, someone who always knows what ought to be done, but doesn't necessarily do it themselves, right? So if you're just a real good, like a couch potato coach, well, you could sit there all day long on the, on, the, on the sideline and say what ought to have been done by the players on the field, but you will never actually get out there and do it yourself, right? We're, and this is, you find this a lot of times in our, in our world today. People that are just kind of critics about what the good man has done and where he stumbled, right? But they're not in the arena actually doing the deeds, daring greatly. No, to dare, to dare things means that you have to be willing to take a risk, right? And the risk is that you might either fail or you might be judged or people might not follow you or it might not work. I mean, it's a risky thing to pass into doing because then suddenly you're exposed to all kinds of contingencies. You can have the greatest idea of a plan for what might work in a business, but when you actually try to manufacture the new, the new line of goods, and the machine breaks down, well, then you say, well, gosh, we didn't even think about that, right? We, we, we have to have a contingency plan for the contingencies. Well, there are so many contingencies. How can you ever make a plan? And so a lot of times people, well, they just get overwhelmed and nothing ends up happening. But at the same time, gosh, if you don't make a new line of goods in that manufacturing company, for example, well, maybe your comp competition is going to knock you out of business. I mean, it's, it's like that old saying, to live is to change. And to live perfectly is to change often. Yes, but change is a scary thing, right? Because every time that you change, new things can happen that could go wrong. And that fear that can be in many of our hearts, this fear of risk and the fear of consequences that can, that can come upon us, well, it can keep us, it keep us on the inside, a prisoner. And what appears to be like a safe womb, right? Where everything is warm and gentle and kind. The, the, the womb of our thoughts, the womb of our status quo, the womb of someone else being responsible for our lives. And so what he ended up, the sign of a person who's not engaging their imperium is victimization. The, the, the spirit inside where they basically are blaming everyone else in the world for who they are or who they're not. Instead of really accepting deep down, you know what? I am the one who is responsible for my life. So if I'm not who I need to be, then I need to become who I am. I need to cross that one-inch gap. I need to cross that one-inch gap from not doing things into actually getting things done. I need to move through my plans into action. I need imperium. It's a great word in Latin, right? That imperium. Because what it means is command. There, there's a moment, in other words, where I just do it, literally. And, and, and I take the plunge from where I am into where I need to be. And I, I see this, you know, several different times in life of St. Paul. For example, when he first has his conversion, right, and he's in Damascus, he immediately goes into the synagogues and begins to preach Jesus Christ to the point where they expel him out of the town. So he begins his very, you know, St. Paul, the great missionary, the great preacher, begins by having his life threatened 
to the point where he is lowered out of a window in the city wall in a basket. <laughs> and he takes off across the desert in the middle of the night because the people that he's preaching to want to see him killed. What a great start to his missionary life, you know? So obviously he had made some friends too because they, they saved his life. But like his preaching immediately is met with death threats. What a, what a life by St. Paul. What a thing for him to experience. And he goes from there and you say, well, gosh, I guess he learned his lesson. He better not preach again. No, he goes to Jerusalem, gets accepted by the apostles there, and he begins to speak to the Jews from Greece. The same people who had stoned St. Stephen back in Acts chapter 7. The very same ones. I mean, he goes right back at it again. To the point where then the apostles, the only thing that they have to do to save his life again, basically, that you can infer that, is to send him by boat back to Tarsus, where he came from. Like, li literally, his first two stops as an apostle end with, you know, uh, his life being threatened. And yet he goes back at it, you know? So now he's up in Tarsus. He has to wait there for St. Barnabas to catch him and bring him down to the Christians who are in Antioch. And the Christians in Antioch lay hands on him and Barnabas, and they send them out on their first missionary journey. And Paul puts his hand to the plow and goes. Right? So there's a quality that's constant in his life. You can think of all of the cities, some 30 cities that he lived in. I mean, you got to pick up and go. You have to move. Sometimes he walked 500 miles at a time, you know, crossing all of Turkey, for example, crossing mountains, crossing rivers, rivers with no bridges, you know, swimming across rivers. <laughs> you can imagine St. Paul doing that. It just kind of like makes you chuckle. You're like, this guy is just a beast. Yeah. And then when he speaks, I mean, he speaks to the wealthy, he speaks to the poor, he speaks to the literate, he speaks to the illiterate. I mean, at one point you even have our hero, St. Paul, standing in front of the philosophers and the leaders of the greatest city of his day, Athens, Greece, and preaching to them about Jesus Christ. I mean, it, it's incredible. You've got to put him in prison to stop him. And even when he's in prison, he continues to act. He, for example, they bring him out for a testimony in front of the king of Israel at one point. And the king of Israel says, I too would wish to become a Christian after listening to this man. Right? Because St. Paul preaches the gospel to the king of Israel as soon as they give him the chance. I mean, the one thing you just can't say about St. Paul is that he stayed in the inside and he didn't pass to the outside. No, no, no. This was a man of action. And yet it wasn't just any kind of action. And that's what I want to look at with you. What's the secret to meaningful action? How do we do what needs to be done in a way that God wants us to do it? Well, to do that, we have to bridge the inside of our identity effectively with the outside of the true needs. And, and this is where I want to look at you, because if we, can, if we can find that recipe, if we can find, number one, who we really are, and the vision of God and how God sees us and get in touch with our true identity as God made us to be. And we can pass that then on the outside and bring that effectively to the world. Well, I mean, we'll be able to identify the greatest needs that we, with our gifts, are able to fill on behalf of God and lift the world up in the most meaningful of ways. You have identity on the inside and meaning on the outside. And if I, can, I, if I can link those two, bridge those two, align those two, well, I mean, I'm going to be satisfied as a human person. And God's going to be glorified 
by my life. This is really the secret. And see, Paul shows us this. And I, I want to I look into his, into his life to show you just how that's done. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So when you get right down to it, being a leader means making an impact. It means having uh, an effect made with our life. And making an impact is always the result of an action. Not necessarily much activity, but definitely meaningful action. And meaningful action means aligning whom we are on the inside, our deepest identity, with the greatest need, right? Now, the greatest need that we can fulfill. Okay, so if I, in other words, the more that my life is impactful in a meaningful way, and the more that that meaningful impact comes from who I am, well, the greater my satisfaction and happiness in life is going to be. This seems to be a real secret to leadership. And it's one that I think in St. Paul, we really see typified in a powerful way. I want you to open your Bibles with me. And I know you, you love doing this. So you all have your Bibles, which is good. Open them up here to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. This is towards the end of the life of St. Paul. It begins, it's the beginning of his journey into imprisonment, right? Where it's then therefore the end of his life. And you could say the end of his impact, which of course is uh, short-sighted to say. But at the same time, he's journeying now from Ephesus to Jerusalem. And when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested and he's going to be sent from there to Rome. And so he, he makes this little speech. This is in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. He sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you for the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jewish people of the time. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Okay, so here you've got the alignment. He starts by saying, you know how my whole life I've been with you doing this, what? Serving the Lord with all humility. How I lived from the very first day I set foot with you in Asia, right? He's speaking to, to them about how he always moved from what was deepest inside of him. First step, St. Paul knew who he was in the eyes of God. Do you? This is a, a challenge that I'm putting out there for you. Because, I mean, of course, none of us really do. I mean, we won't really know who we are until we get to heaven. And God reveals us to ourselves. I mean, it's, it's going to be a, a mystery of really incredible beauty and incredible happiness to really see ourselves with God's eyes. And yet St. Paul had a sense of who he was in the eyes of Christ, maybe because he met Christ personally. And I wonder if, like, that wouldn't help each one of us. I mean, to, if you really had a, were at peace with who you were, Accepting maybe that your, your limitations also in the great scheme of things, that you're not made for this or not made for that, 
but that you you fact know what the Lord really how the Lord graces the world through you. What is great about you that comes from God? Will you be you be more likely to be able to enact that? I mean, I'd love to have you do this. I'd love to have you just pause for a second and write down the three greatest things that about you. The three things where you're most gifted, where you make the biggest impact in the world. I mean, if you can't do this, it's a great thing to ask your spouse. To literally ask your spouse, say, tell me why I am good and where I am good. And when they tell you, you've got to listen to them. Because sometimes people, <laughs> then you disagree. You're like, oh no, that's not true. That's not true. Well, I mean, like, maybe it is. Maybe you're just short-sighted about yourself. In any case, St. Paul, he literally saying, you know how I was always acting and my service to the Lord, and he embraces it. He's saying that he's acting out of his identity. It's a very powerful lesson. And the second thing is that he says what he needs to do. He has a sense of where he needs to go. And he's, he announces it to them. Behold, he says, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So Paul clearly sees where that his suffering is in front of him. And yet he goes there. Now, why does he go there? Because the impact that he needs to make lies there. The Holy Spirit constrains me. Even though it's showing me that, you know, afflictions await me, I, yet I am going there. And this is such a powerful lesson for us all. Because St. Paul, therefore, there's a one-inch gap. I mean, the one-inch gap is saying, oh my goodness, there could be failure, there could be pain, there could be imprisonments awaiting me, right? Like, stop about all the things that could be. And yet St. Paul bridges what could be and makes it into what is because he sees the value that's greater than the risk. Constrained by the Spirit. In other words, Paul is aligned in the deepest part of who he is to the impact that God wants to make through him. And he wants to see that impact greater than he wants to see any of the, of the trials or any of the, all that it will cost him. This is the secret for us as well. To cross that gap of inaction into action, you need love. A love that's bigger than you and a love that's bigger than your possible failures. A love that's bigger than the sufferings and hardships you're going to encounter. A love to see the change that your actions can make. And when we're impelled by love, we dare great things. And we do great things again and again and again. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.